Our text is 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, right there near the end of the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 is our text on a sermon I've titled, Danger, or Warning, Danger Ahead, okay? Warning, Danger Ahead. So I want you to follow along there. I will look at verses 3 and 4 of the book of Jude, which is the second to the last book of the Bible, not far from here, so make sure that you... uh, Put a bulletin, a finger, or something in there, okay, and be ready to turn to that as well. Our text is Second Peter, chapter two, verse one. But there were false prophets also uh, among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Now, notice he didn't say brought them. He said, bought them. How does he buy us? With the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, I want to tell you just something about that before we get into the message. Bought them, false teachers, he's saying, false prophets. They'll start with damnable heresies, meaning they were once right. They once used to be right there on the word. And now uh, they've brought in the false teachings, brought in the false things, and it will bring upon them swift destruction. You say, well, does that mean the moment they start uh, with the false doctrine and all that, the Lord's going to strike them dead? No, it doesn't mean that. It means this. When the Lord starts, it's going to be swift. It'll be swift. They won't have a chance to get it right with God. Even though they're saved, uh, they'll be saved so as by fire, ashamed at his appearing. And so just understand that as we go into this, that this chapter is written to Christians, telling us of what the last days before the rapture and the tribulation, those things that happened. He's warning us, letting us know all about it. So keep that in mind as where you'll be going through this chapter in, in the weeks ahead. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to delve into your word. Help us to rightly divide it. Again, if there is one here today that does not know that if they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today would be the very day they come and receive Christ as Savior. In Jesus Christ's name we pray it. Amen. The last chapter, as we finished that a few weeks ago, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, has a statement it makes there about the scriptures. There it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of private interpretation. That means it will never contradict any other part of the Bible. If you think that uh, you found something that contradicts another part of the Bible, you're not understanding the Bible right. Okay, when God says there's no contradiction, there's no contradiction. And so, it's of no private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. Now understand, the Lord didn't use the best minds of the day that we consider the best minds of the day. He used the holiest people of the day. And it says, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, what does that mean, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost? Simply this. We had in our Sunday school lesson today, John chapter 16, verse 13, about the Spirit of God coming, and He would teach you things to come. And He's telling the the apostles there, as He was telling them that, He was telling them, uh, He would remind you of the words I've spoken unto you and of things to come. The Holy Ghost 
Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration has the idea of God breathed. When we talk, we're breathing out. Uh, try to talk while you're breathing in. Peter. Peter. Okay, you can't do it. You've got to breathe out while you're saying it. Okay, and so every word was breathed out by the Holy Ghost to each writer. And that writer had to be a holy man of God. Now, uh, sometimes a boss will dictate a letter to a secretary. So we could say she wrote the letter, but that would be wrong. She copied the words, word for word, that he said to put in a letter. The Holy Ghost, God gave the word. These men, it wasn't their personalities, it wasn't their abilities, they wrote down the words. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, probably one of the most educated men of the New Testament. And yet, they said his speech is crude. And oh, I love that so much. Because I cause every English teacher I've ever had to turn over in their graves when they uh, hear about me. But nonetheless, Paul's speech was crude. He wasn't grammatically correct all the time. But when he copied it down word for word, it was exactly the way God wanted it. We have the word of God for us today. As a matter of fact, Psalms chapter 12, verse uh, 6 and 7 tells us that he has preserved this word from this generation. This generation. In heaven, they don't have generations. That's forever. Generations are on earth. But in heaven, Psalms 119, 89, in heaven is preserved as well. So heaven and earth, the word is preserved forever, is preserved exactly, there is no error, therefore God has preserved it. A lot of people have a hard time with that. No, men corrupt it. Why is it we can believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Why is it we can believe in a virgin birth of Christ, but for some reason or another, God lacks the ability to preserve his word? Now... As they said many times, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If, if you have no problem with that, and you shouldn't, then any other miracle of the Bible should not be hard to believe. Okay. And so again, we have that for us. This word will endure forever, we're told. Not one jot or tittle would pass away, Jesus said. And it's preserved forever in heaven and on earth. Heaven and earth would pass away before one, even one little punctuation mark would pass away from his word. And you know what? God doesn't lie. God doesn't lie. Now, men have made new versions and tried to change it. This King James Bible that we have was translated from the Masoretic text for the Old Testament, which... Very few argue with that. Now, some have tried to come up with a new text for, for the Old Testament, but for the most part, that's been rejected, and it's pretty well accepted Jews and Gentiles of the Masoretic text. But the New Testament, the Textus Receptus, that stood the test of time. All of a sudden, in the 1880s, uh, another group went th uh, throughout Europe collecting uh, these various things. Some of them had already been rejected. I know one group, they went to a church, they found it. They were using it for fire. <laughs> and so what they had left over, they took that, and they came together with 47 copies. It's, uh, I, we call 
the Alexandrian text because and the reason they like it is because only uh, men who were well educated were used to make these copies. The Textus Receptus from which we get our King James has 5,400 copies. Men would pray and, and, and they would do it. They were holy men and they would go to the middle of the page and they would count the words. If the word in the middle of the page didn't agree with the word they had, they'd done away with that. And they weren't writing on paper or using computers back in that day. Okay, so again, what I'm saying to you is they tried to be so exact about this. Now, when they made their new translations and used different manuscripts, what did they say? They said, well, we have not changed anything. There's not anything that we put in. There's some words that are different, but really, we've not changed anything that affects doctrine in any way. That's their words. That was their words that came up with all these new translations. Back in 1881, Westcott and Hort, that was their very words they proclaimed over and over and over again. Matter of fact, <laughs> they said uh, that they had only 42 differences, and they were right on the 42, but I think it's something like 4,200 differences. But besides that, besides that, I read Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. There, some people went through all the manuscripts they could find, and they found two places where through his blood did not appear. And so they said it should not be in the Bible. Some of the translations eliminated, other translations put it in brackets and said, we, it's here, but we don't think it should be. So let me ask the question using their logic. They said they removed nothing of doctrinal value. Is forgiveness through his blood of doctrinal value? Amen. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That is, there's no forgiveness of sins, the Bible says. So they already lied to themselves by removing that from the word of God. Okay. So understand, that has been an ongoing battle, but the word of God is preserved, so that battle will never, 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 never be lost. Men may be deceived, and they go all these other versions. Isn't it interesting? The King James is written, translated on a fifth grade level. If you think it's too hard, then you need to go back and sue your schools. You can't read at a fifth grade level and understand? Think about that. Well, the Lord is in heaven now. He's doing something that only a loving God would do. You see, he breathed out the words that are in this book. Words of warning as we have in this chapter to his bride here on earth. But with that, he also gives his bride his Holy Spirit to indwell her. Therefore, he has, we have a book that directs us. And a Holy Ghost to help us to understand that book. And as a result of that, we have the Word of God and we have a roadmap for life. That if we'll follow the Word of God, we'll come out on the right side. And I'm not talking about heaven or hell. I'm talking about when you get to heaven, you can hear a well done if you'll follow this book. Now we're warned of the dangerous rebellion that's ahead here in our text. There's a companion verse in Jude verses 3 and 4. 
where it says this, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were foreordained of this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God, in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're being told right there that man in these last days would try to take something as precious as grace, God's grace, and turn it to lasciviousness. In other words, your flesh is free to fulfill its desires instead of our spirit. You see, it's about spirit. Our spirit is free from being controlled by the fleshly desires any longer. From the fleshly sins, from the things of this world. We're freed from that. And he's given us that. What a great thing that he does for us. His heart was to write of the common salvation, Jude there in verses 3 and 4. Uh, he were, he, he's saying, I mean, the Holy Ghost has given him these words to write. This was his heart. And his heart was to write to these people about the common salvation, to encourage them in their salvation and continuing to grow in the Lord. But God tells this holy man to instruct the people to earnestly contend for the faith. Take a stand. Stand up. Speak up. Doesn't matter what they say. Speak up for God. When God is pleased, it doesn't matter what man says. It's what God says that stands. And we need to proclaim it as loud as these other people are proclaiming all their filth, all of the things of of Muslims and, and, and all the other things going on. We can stand up for Jesus. And we should. So when you go back to verse 1 of our text, who are the adversaries? So often they're our own people. There, are, there were false prophets also among the people. That was in the Old Testament. As there shall be false teachers among you. That's today. Who shall privily bring in damnable heresies. Even denying the Lord that brought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. Well. That's exactly what's going on today. Jude tells us that the people would come to the churches and pulpits and classrooms of our churches. They'll come in unawares. That is, they've been able to deceive and make us believe that they're part of us. And that happens over and over and over again. In the public venue, we've seen the National Education Association and others who have infiltrated our schools, our media, and our entertainment to decry God. They want to remove the commandments from schools and anything that's public, and they have. They want to remove prayer, especially in the name of Jesus, from anywhere. Now look. 
regardless of what Rick Warren or anybody else says, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God Almighty come in the flesh. And he's not the same as Allah or any of this other group that, that he says they are. It's the same, oh, they just call him by a different name. No, they don't. That's completely different. That's the devil's crowd he's honoring, not Jesus Christ. We've got to decide who we are, whose side we're on. Now, these are the last days. And he tells us that. And that's what's going on. They're, they're honoring their false gods. Why is it wrong to say the name of Jesus publicly? But they can cry out for Allah or any other religion they want to say and they're false gods. Why is it in our kindergartens? Kindergarten. We're giving them books titled, My Two Mommies. To promote lesbianism. Homosexual marriage. But then turn around and say, you need to go to prison for saying those things are sin. Why are they giving children, teenagers, contraceptives? It's telling children, all right, you can go out and do this now, but you need to be safe about it. No, it's not all right. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says the marriage bed is undefiled. If you want your teenager to have contraceptives, say, well, first before I give you these, you've got to marry this person. Well, I tell you, that stop it dead in its tracks, won't it? You see, the marriage bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. You think God's not going to judge us for this? Now, I, I, I'm thankful. I, I'm thankful that this week that our president. Now, look, a lot of people want to make Mr. Trump a very godly religious man. I've heard too much of his speech to know that that's not true. But I do like some decisions that he's made. Okay, and especially this week when he said we're going to restore prayer back in the school. We're going to let teachers and pe- students, they want to pray, they can. And the word of God, hey, I'm for that. I'm for that. And I think that's the way it should be. But you see, there's so much that's going on this day that just really makes us wonder. I mean, genders? Genders? Goodness, over 20 genders in New York, they say there's over 30 genders. They've got to be better than everybody else. I still think that that's going to be interesting on the image, imaging test when they go in with their pregnancies to try to figure out what, what it is. I wonder what gender that one is, you know. There's over 20. Which, of, which one is it? I like back when I was in school, there's three genders. He, she, and it. And it was all those other genders, okay? So we were actually being nice to the other genders than they are today, okay? (laughs) Now look, I'm not called to be politically correct. Rather to speak gospel, Bible, truth. I'm speaking the truth in love because I'm trying to protect your children and grandchildren, And also, I want to stand up for the holiness of God. I like what our Constitution was built on. It was on the Word of God, and I think that it should still be that way. 
I remember preaching on humanism in my church that I was in in Arizona. I told how they liked the teachers would ask the question, this humanistic philosophy. What kind of problems do you have in your home? What kind of problems have you encountered this week with your parents? Well, I did this and did that. And well, how did your parents react? Do you agree with that? How should have they reacted? And you see, now they want to try to take your, stu- your, your children and they are wards of the state. The Bible says to spank your children. Well, we've got too many parents that are afraid to spank them. They're afraid they're going to have their children taken away from them. Some of you ought to be glad that they take their children. Uh, they'll bring them back in a hurry. <laughs> okay. But you see, that's the way they try to get into the home. And as a result of the last 20 some odd, 30 some odd years of teaching that way in our public schools, what's wrong? Now, guys get on their knees to the American flag, but they won't get on their knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got all these immoral things being taught and promoted. But keep it in mind, that's the way the Bible said it'd be in these last days. Again, this text is addressed to Christians in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. As in the Old Testament, they wanted to be like the other nations. So what did they do? They corrupted the worship. And Israel goes into captivity. Now, so much of what is called worship today is nothing more than self-focus on seeking the glory of man for oneself. To make me feel good about the way I live instead of what Jesus says I am to do. We want the word presented, but we don't want it presented in an untainted an absolute truth way. Too often today in the worship services of too many is that the, the idea is the name of Jesus is a vehicle to bring glory to ourselves. And that's not it. All glory belongs to God. All glory belongs to him. Andy Stanley. I wish you'd get rid of that name Andy. But he has one of the largest mega ministries in the country. Had a couple homosexuals working for him, doing his, their greeters work. That's what they did. They were greeters. And he removed them for being a homosexual. No. One of them, his divorce was not complete from his wife. But he said as soon as that divorce is complete, then they all consider putting them back on. The same man also said he didn't believe the virgin birth was important. The, uh, the Old Testament Ten Commandments are outdated. We're only to love one another. That's what they mean by turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, by the way. He said there are errors in the Old Testament concerning the miracles. We may be wrong to tell children, Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. He says we're wrong to tell them that because the Bible has errors. False teachers bringing in damnable heresies. Damnable heresies means those children 
are going to end up in hell because they believe those heresies as teachers are teaching. Rick Warren, as I mentioned earlier, he introduced us to terms as user-friendly, connection, adapting, consolidating. But all of that was geared around a marketing scheme, not a Bible scheme, a marketing scheme, to make it uh, sound good to the church and to make the flesh feel good, but not the spirit. You see, when you read the Bible, you find out that the spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. There's a war actually going on. The Bible says that. God is warning us of a dangerous rebellion as it hits churches with the contemporary music, the immodest dress, the Calvinism, the, the Catholicism, and the, those that worship Mary instead of Christ, and all of these heresies, as First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 spoke of these last days being that way, predicted those things. And it's called damnable heresies here in our text. Heresies is defined as schisms. That's why in 1 Peter 4, verses 17 and 18, judgment begins at the house of God. And that is why these will bring on swift destruction. But if that be their end, what shall be the end of those that obey not the gospel in receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior? We have those that are making their churches into churches of the Calvinistic nature. Instead of having, well, let's get rid of deacons, let's just have elders. And then instead of having elders, let's have, uh, in, in addition to elders, let's have the sovereign grace music. We'll have the world's beat to it, but it'll have some good Bible words. And it does have some good, a lot of it does have some good Bible words to it. A lot of those words are used in the Calvinistic theology as they try to explain what it is. And I'm just telling you, the Bible told us it's this way it was going to be in the last days. And we're seeing it before our eyes. Now look, you and I need to go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 in our thinking where it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. You see, salvation brings on transformation. It brings on transformations. Such were some of you. That's serious business. And too many believers are living in the bare margins and really they're living in bare margins of Christianity And they don't want to really do what God desires them to do. That heart will never allow revival. If you're not willing, don't pray for revival. If you're not willing to be a part of the revival, then don't pray for it. If you still want to hold on to the world, you want to still hold on to these things, you are stupid to pray for revival because you're praying against what you are. Yes, pray for revival, but in your heart so you won't remain that way. Get right with God. That's what he wants you to do, to get right with him. Damnable means destruction. That means they're going to hell, those 
that believe these things that are coming out today. Now look, that can be avoided. Jesus still says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's not as measured as we measure things. Well, I did bad, but I haven't done as bad as you. <laughs> we've all, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every last one of us. Every person born in this world deserves to go to hell. But God in his love, realizing no man could be an acceptable sacrifice, became a man that day. He was virgin born. He would be tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so the Son of God became the Son of men, that sons of men could become sons of God. He did that for you, he did that for me. He did that for whosoever will. What must you do? Admit I'm a sinner. All have sinned come short of the glory of God. Number two, believe that Jesus indeed died for your sins on the cross. When he shed his blood, he shed for every sin you ever have or ever will commit. Number three, believe that he rose up bodily from the grave and that he's coming again. Number four, you receive him as your Lord and Savior. You're going to let him come into your heart and life and transform you. He's God. You're the bride. You're going to give him your heart and life. If you'll do that, his promise is he'll give you everlasting life. But you must come to him. Let's bow our heads.